I hope that maybe some of my sarcasm has also helped you realize. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at sarcasm. I'm with that. Hello, and welcome to Given the Platform, the show where we give unsung people the chance to flaunt their extraordinary passions and knowledge. Do you have something that you want to talk about? Contact me at giventheplatform at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Given the Platform. That's where you're going to get updates on all of our future episodes and our guests and topics. Also, feel free to download this podcast on your preferred podcasting platform, or if you're on iTunes, give us five stars. I'd be very much appreciated. Today we have on Alec Loby. I asked him to come on to speak on something that I was very interested in, which is his experience with Asperger's. He's not formally diagnosed, but he has several of the symptoms, and we actually go into why he chose not to get tested for this in the episode. I just wanted to say from the start that he's speaking on his experience, and he's not speaking on behalf of a group, but I really enjoyed listening to his experience, and I hope you do too. Today we have on... Alec Loby. Hi, Alec. Hi, Harrison. Alec is probably one of my closest friends at school, so I'm very happy he came on. Uh, I asked him to come on for a very specific reason. Um, I can't speak to the best of this, uh, so I'll ask you to tell me a little bit more about it yourself. But to my knowledge, um, Alec has experienced several symptoms of Asperger's. Um, I don't want to say he has Asperger's. We've already talked about this because um, he never went formally diagnosed, which we will touch on later as to why, because there was a reason why. Um, it's not that he didn't think he had it. But knowing you and from knowing your experience, I really wanted to talk to you about what it was like with um, the neurodiversity that you experience in life and how that has affected you and its strengths and weaknesses. So thank you so much for coming on. There are certain episodes which are um, someone asking to speak on something they love, and there are certain episodes which are me asking someone to speak on something that I'm extremely intrigued in. So, again, thanks. Uh, absolutely. And would you like to um, speak in your own words what you want to talk about today and your experience with Asperger's, quote unquote? Uh, I'd say I just want to share a little bit about me that people may not know in my day-to-day -day life and also hopefully clarify a few things, a few misconceptions about uh, Asperger, uh, Asperger symptoms. So my first question was, I just want to know your experience with how, when you grew up, when did you first realize that you had these symptoms? I remember in talking with you in planning, we specifically talked about the sensory overload you experience. But what was like the first memory that you can recall where you have experienced a symptom of Asperger's and what was that like for you? You know, it's actually uh, funny because I didn't really notice that I had these sort of symptoms until uh, later into my young adult life. Well, when I was a kid, I had a very short temper and I think a lot of that in retrospect was because I was... Uh, misinterpreting what people's intentions were, like what things that they said. And oftentimes I, it, it would just lead to me like having a bit of a temper tantrum, like in class. I also, I had these, these sensory issues. Like for instance, I didn't like people touching my head or when I went to the barber, whenever they would, you know, 
tussle my hair or something, it just, it really bothered me. Like I just was like hypersensitive to it. Mm -hmm. And also just kind of going off of that because of say when I was at the barber, I would feel like the pain a little bit more. I also gravitated more towards like clothing that was very comfortable rather than stylish. So I would more often than not wear something like, like a, like sweatpants, sweatshirt, instead of jeans and a polo, uh, just because even though it didn't look aesthetically pleasing for me, it was the ideal outfit. Mm-hmm. Um, also growing up because of, uh, my little incidents in like class, uh, yelling at other students or like, uh, just having these little meltdowns, a lot of the teachers recommended to my mother that I got, that I would get tested for Asperger's syndrome. Um, and so that's another thing. And also one thing I distinctly remember my mom, this one's actually, I guess, I guess you could say this was like the first incident where, where I really thought where I was like, huh, maybe something's not, uh, maybe there's something atypical about me where, uh, my mom sat me down one time to teach me how to make eye contact with her because growing up, um, not so much now, but when I was younger, it was hard for me to look at people in the eyes while I was talking to them. And so she taught me to look at her eyebrow rather than her eye, like eyes on their own. So that way it would give the illusion that I was giving eye contact when really I was focusing on this other thing. But as I use that technique, uh, later on in life and to this day, it's gotten to a point where now I've become more comfortable with eye contact. Mm-hmm. So what, I guess you, I guess you could say that, huh? I was just going to say, what was going through your mind when you were sat down to be taught that mild annoyance? <laughs> Did you think anything of it of like, why? Did you think anything on the why it's happening or were you just annoyed that she made you do it? I didn't really think why. I just was more like, oh, I'm doing this thing. Okay, cool. Back to my video games. Kind of <laughs> like that. Where And then I just didn't really think about it until more recently, once I really started to notice like things in young adult life. Yeah. yeah. So at what age did you start like retrospectively understanding what was going on? I would say, actually say 18. Uh-huh. And... The reason I I would say that is because I noticed because I got this job at this pizza joint in my local town. And something that I noticed is that I would become overwhelmed and like stressed by the noise of the workplace. That would be like the kitchen, like people cooking in the kitchen, uh, the high pressure of the sinks. Like it would just like it would like rattle my ears. I I didn't really it. It didn't jive with me, the arcade machines, and of course, like the screaming children. And I also noticed it going into college. I mean, this isn't so much when I was 18. This is going into 19. Uh, When I first got to college and went to uh, college parties, I noticed that same thing where like, I just, I like, it was almost crippling, but I wouldn't like describe it as anxiety. It was more like, because it wasn't, I wouldn't call it like fear or nervousness. I was frustrated and agitated by being unable to get a read on the environment. Yeah. If that makes sense. So you were about 18. Wow. That that was like the first time where I really thought about it when I was 
when I knew of, I, I don't want to call it a disability because I do not consider it a disability. Of course not. Yeah. That was around when I started to actually become educated on the topic. So that's why I would say 18 more than when I was a kid, just because when I was a kid, I didn't care. I was, I was going day to day doing whatever because of my behavioral problems in school. I was a member of this like social help group and it was called the race car group. And the other members were my fellow students and some of them lifelong friends that were either on the spectrum or had severe social anxiety. So what happened in that group? Like, what was that like? Oh, well, we would practice these things called Kelso's Choices, where it was this frog cartoon along with these puppets. And basically, it was like this big like circle of things that Kelso does when he becomes overwhelmed with something or, or angry. Um, and it would be like, take a deep breath, play a different game, like learn to say no, and like just stuff like that. And they use these like these very exaggerated pictures of Kelso doing these things to where like there was no way you could misinterpret like what he was doing. Yeah. Which is another dif- which is another difficulty that I've had over the years is like reading people and like the way they're feeling. Yeah, but you've gotten so much. Okay, so that leads into my other question. You've gotten so much better at that, by the way. Um, Thank so you. So, do you think that your symptoms have gotten better over the years? Although this kind of already answers it. Um, and like, what symptoms have improved? Oh uh, well, let me. It's not so much that I would say they've improved as much as I've used them more to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, one of the symptoms is like a lack of social awareness. Uh, like, for instance, in social situations, sometimes I find that people like will laugh at things that I just normally say or do, even though it was not at all in my intention to be funny. Like they just like, like they find humor in the way I normally am. And on the flip side, sometimes I'll accidentally say something that upsets people and they'll be like, wow, like, why would you say something so rude? And again, I just don't really realize until they mention it that like, wow, I guess that was kind of rude. But that lack of social awareness, what I would say in terms of performance, it has made me absolutely fearless in anything, really. Like I will sing any song or do any sort of exaggerated character and just have like a lack of shame and a lack of caring what other people think. Mm-hmm. Quite literally, a, if you can't beat them, join them situation. Exactly. Is it really bothersome when people laugh at things that you didn't intend for it to be funny? Because, I mean, that happens to me on occasion. And, oh, boy, do I hate it. Do I hate it. If I am meant to be serious on something, I will be so upset if someone laughs at it. I don't really think about it, honestly. Like, I mean, in the moment, it, conf- it confuses me where I hear people and they're, like, giggling or smiling and I look and I'm just like, huh? But then I move on to whatever I'm doing because I can't be bothered to, you know, worry about them laughing at me. I mean, like, I, huh? Yeah, I, I just wish I could do the same thing. <laughs> You're a much stronger man than I am, Alec. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, it, it's just like, it's not that I don't ever care. There are definitely exceptions, but for the most part, I, I don't really get to hang up on things. Yeah, like that. However, the rudeness, the rudeness, that's where I do care a little more just because I like to improve my social skills and I don't want to hurt people's feelings, of course, 
but like if i'm not hurting anybody then like why should i apologize for who i am yeah and i i think the difference is as well that like um when I say something that they read differently and laugh at it, um, it's almost usually because they're making fun of what I said. But with you, whenever you say something that people laugh at, almost always you just say something that's funny. Like no one's laughing at you. They just think you were being comedic and you just didn't realize that. Right. But like sometimes, but sometimes when that, when that happens, it's like, it's like, it's still confusing to me. Like sometimes it's just a matter of word choice. Um, like, cause there's just a word I like saying that particular week. Um, just because I like the way it feels and sounds. And then when I use it, people just think it's funny. And it's like, like, what's so funny about the word cordial or something like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I also, I mean, let's not forget, I mean, from the beginning when you came into the program, he's also a musical theater major. Uh, that should come as no surprise to anyone who's listened to the past few episodes. Um, we were talking about advantages I mean, you came in to the program, and when we first did, like, our initial performances for people, you did, like, you were the one who, like, genuinely just, like, acted. Like, everyone else was, like, kind of nervous and, like, half-assing the acting because we were, like, in front of a new group of people who we thought were going to judge us, and you were the only one who was like, I'm just doing this, because you didn't, you did not even think to think about something like that. So... right. I've always admired you for something like that because of the way that you're able to just go into it without caring. And I mean, we've worked together. We worked together on a scene or like on a project our freshman year. And it was literally just like me being like, I feel very uncomfortable. And you just like going full out the way that you want to. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I I also think that we have vibed so much as friends and we've gotten so close is because I love being blunt with people and you're the most blunt person I know because you will literally you will just say what you mean and that is so much better for me to handle and it's like I vibe with that much more than I vibe with anyone who's like well I'm gonna sugarcoat something because I don't want to hurt their feelings or I'm just gonna say something behind their back you are the the last person to do that which is why I think we get along so well um for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> Don't for better, for better. Um for better. So, you had this experience where you chose not to get tested. Why did your mom do that? Oh, well, it was a couple of reasons. My town was notorious for having this stigma against mental disabilities. And we just like had a just terrible special ed program. Um, so my mom didn't want to give me a label in which I would be considered abnormal or in need of special attention. Um, and she also, another thing, and I guess this is, I don't want, I don't know if it would be considered like a controversial parenting tactic, but she wanted me to be judged on the same playing field as what this, what our social circle deems as normal kids, like she didn't want the teachers to use it as an excuse for me to get away with bad behavior. Like for instance, if I uh, pulled some girl's hair, it would be like, Oh, well that's just Alec. He can get away with pulling that girl's hair or yeah, Alec just, uh, just peed on the side of the school because he felt like it, you know, it, it, it but he's like, you know, he's a certain way so he can get away with that. Or Alec uh, punched a girl on the bus one time because she was bugging him. You know, it's like, I got in trouble for all of those things. And all those things happened, by the way. 
you peed <laughs> on the side of the on the side of the road or school? Oh, the school, yeah. Well, I was waiting for the bus and I had to go and I thought well, I mean like I used to pee on the farm I grew up on. Uh so I'll just pee on the wall. You know what? I don't even put that past you. It, let me share an embarrassing story myself. My neighbors were like from the south um and they used to and like they were very free living. Like they were just like very chill. So their son would pee in their backyard. Like if he didn't feel like going inside especially cuz they had a pool and if he was wet and didn't want to get the inside wet. And I would see this. So one time I peed in their yard during a dinner because I saw him do it, so I do not blame you. <laughs> that is not your problem. That is their problem. They're just not woke enough. Thinking back, I mean, clearly, I know, I'm pretty sure I know what answer you'll pick. Uh, are, do you agree with her in that, and are you appreciative that you were raised that way? Do you agree with your mom, and do you think that you shouldn't have got tested, or do you wish you could go back and get tested? Do you wish you can get tested now? And, like, if you were in a different place of the world, I know this is a lot of questions at once, but um, if you were in any better, like, place in terms of ha- handling mental health issues, um, would you have wished to get have gotten tested then? I would say, well, first of all, I wholeheartedly agree with my mother's methods. Uh, my mother is probably the most special person in my life. You know, if it weren't for her, I would probably struggle more with these tendencies. Um, but I, I say, I'd say I do not want to, I wouldn't go back and get tested and I wouldn't get tested now for a couple of reasons. Um, for one thing, like, I don't feel like I can justifiably be a person who speaks on behalf of a group of people because it's not confirmed. And especially with how much I've been able to thrive and succeed, um, and imp- I guess, quote unquote, improve, because again, I don't really consider it like a problem. Um, like, I'm not sure if it really serves me in any way, like now, like, I know who I am. I don't need some document to tell me that I'm also this thing, you know, I'm just me. And I can live with that. I can live with that un- being an unknown aspect of my life. So if given the chance, would you take it to get tested? Oh, no. No, not not now, I don't think. Why not? Are you – this is a serious question. Are you um, afraid of being told that you have it? Yes, a little bit. Are you comfortable saying why? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of – I have a lot of, like, internal strict philosophies on life. And one of them is, if you don't acknowledge something necessarily, uh, then it's not confirmed that you have, like, a problem. Now, I do not consider, like I said, I do not consider Asperger's to be a problem, but I uh, use it when applying it to something like depression or, like, anxiety, um, stuff like that. Because even though, like, sure, maybe I do have certain like low points but i don't want a diagnosis to like defeat me in that way like just to go around with the with the knowledge of being like oh well i'm diagnosed with uh with clinical depression the point is i just would rather not and i'm worried not because even though i do believe that 
even though I do believe the stigma of having or being on the autism spectrum has lessened over the years, uh, I still worry about it to an extent with certain aspects of my life. Not all of them, just certain ones. Yeah. Uh, I, I will interject one thing that I forgot to say earlier. Um, coming from, in terms of to go diagnosed or undiagnosed, I have seen, first of all, with you, I would, I would say beforehand that I would agree with you. Not that it's my decision, but you know what I mean. I agree. I think that it's fine to go undiagnosed. I, I agree that in certain systems, in certain public school systems, to be treated uh, lesser than because they're not truly as up to date or as um, modern and fair as they should be over these kinds of issues um, is better to just go go undiagnosed and deal with a little bit more strife in exchange for um, really showing that it's like it's not a handicap as much as it is just a different way of thinking, which I very strongly prescribe to that belief. Um, at the same time, I used to work as a camp counselor um, for a theater camp, and I don't know if this is the culture for all theater camps around the country. Please let me know if it isn't. Um, but especially of the theater camps in uh, the northeastern area, um, they would send kids that it would basically be a glorified babysitting service, sometimes cheaper. And they would send kids who really didn't like theater, um, but their parents couldn't uh, had work and stuff and couldn't afford, could didn't want to get a babysitter, blah, blah, blah. And they would just send their kids and... Um, those kids would sometimes be problematic if they were of the type that were undiagnosed. And if they were undiagnosed, we really couldn't do anything about it because we couldn't ask them to diagnose their kids. That would be unfair. I still believe that is true. You, no one should force you to do that. But without a diagnosis, it, it was hard to handle kids that we didn't... That uh, It was hard for a bunch of teenagers to handle these kids. I mean, clearly you must understand that. How hard it is to handle kids alone less when you're a like when you're 18 yourself and you barely know how to handle it yourself. So I can see like why people would want to go diagnosed. I could also see why you didn't and the positives of negatives of both. I also do believe that in terms of if you have Asperger's and that would already be quite high functioning, if not the most high functioning. So to that extent, I could see why you chose not to do that. So you're, you're afraid of being tested and yet you don't, Yes, it's a contradiction. I am aware. Um, yeah, like tell me about that. Tell me why you think um, – why you don't want to get tested because you're afraid of being told yes. But at the same time, we both know that you are Alec no matter what happens and nothing precedes that. No label precedes that. You are Alec and you are who you are and you have a strong sense of Part of, of it is where I was raised and what part of life – I learned that it really like it's okay to be a certain way. If that if that makes sense. So while mm -hmm. I while now it's something that I'm proud of and I think other people should be proud of too if they're if they're on the spectrum. Um that's a very that's more of like a new belief that I have developed in late in my later years. Uh later like I'm not young. But I mean, like, you know, like 18 to 21, it, it was like a new thing where I was like, oh, well, it's okay to be on the spectrum um, and to have these symptoms. Whereas like growing up, I even I kind of had a little bit of that stigma where it was just thinking like, well, uh, everybody acts a certain way about 
uh, people with a mental disability. And so there was a bit of a fear, like a social fear um, in having the label. Whereas like, I don't think it would be as bad say in the college setting or like in New York or NYC. Um, so it's basically like an internal battle between my small town self and my city life self. That's a really overly complicated I, answer. No, it is not. If anything, that reminded me so much of like discussions on internalized homophobia and these kids that like hated themselves because of how everyone else viewed them that they like couldn't love themselves. So they had these like gross, disgusting and wrong views of themselves. So, I mean, this internalization of uh, stigma is so not complicated. It's so like it's totally reasonable hypothetical let's say we lived in a place where a public school system had like the finest with no problems in it whatsoever the finest of institutions for those who need a different way of learning um anyone on the spectrum asperger's any sort of uh neurodiversity in that ideal scenario would you still want to live the life you had lived where you went undiagnosed or because the um, education system for uh, the specialized education system was so nice. Would you prefer that? I suppose I would, if I was just, I had no knowledge of this previous life and like I was raised and they were like, you, you are on the spectrum. I'd be like, okay. And then you got to go on this path of life, uh, which has a lot of benefits then it'd be okay. But me, like me being me, like in this universe, instead of the hypothetical one, thinking about this hypothetical one, it bothers me the notion that I would use a label to get ahead of others or to like, like use it to my own personal advantage. Now, uh, talk me through that because I didn't mean it like, um, you would get an advantage. I just mean that I think the education system in general is is um, so specific. Oh, you mean like, oh. Yeah, yeah. So you mean if it, if it was hypothetically like everyone was like, like fine, there was no social stigma whatsoever. Yeah, I would have been fine with having the diagnosis. Yeah, I mean, what are your like, opinions I would, on like, how, I, I guess let's broaden it a little bit. Um, would you have taken the different uh, learning environment because I think schools in itself, d- not even dependent on if you um, are um, or neurotypical or not, um, schools have such a narrow way of teaching based for one specific person's benefit. And not everyone learns the same way, um, despite what diagnoses you may or may not have. If there was a specialization that did not come with stigma and did not set you back as a person because of your... Um, Asperger's were you to have tested positive would you take it I still prefer the tough love because in a way it proves to me that in spite of having what society deems as shortcomings you can succeed in what you do Mm -hmm. like for instance there are other people that I've known growing up and going to vocal intensives um, that are a little less functioning in the in with their autism uh, that participated in these vocal intensives and they were so passionate about the art of like musical theater and 
everything like the process the music sitting down like he would listen on loop like the songs that he was performing to make sure that he knew them like just on a dime which is better than Uh, what i would have done (laughs) yeah it's better than what most of the people would have done there but he really just a brilliant brilliant young man but unfortunately i think because of that label it would hold him back if he wanted to pursue that Hmm. like in his career um now was he did you know if he was autistic or not or is that just oh yeah He, he you could you could visibly tell in his manner certain things that you could you could absolutely tell and also he's met he mentioned it while we were while we were conversing got it but i think there's a benefit to not ever having that label and just like cuz nobody prejudges you yeah if that makes sense like if they yes. hear that you or a certain way, regardless of how functional they are, people are going to be like, oh, well, they have this thing, um, as crummy as that can be. Yeah. Uh, even to even to the smallest degree, even uh, it's not everybody uh, that would that where it would be severe, where it'd be like a negative thing. But there's always a little bit of, oh, well, they have this. So I'll keep that in mind where it really shouldn't even be an issue. So you've talked about how you've tried to turn your symptoms into superpowers for um, lack of better alliteration. What fears do you have for your future because of how you see the world and because of your social skills? Like I remember you talking about your experience on Broadway and how you don't want people to see you a certain way because of a diagnosis. Like we'd already said. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for the most part, I actually, I'm very content with the way I am. Like, I don't, like, I'm I'm proud to be who I am. And there's nothing that's really, that I've like, oh my God, this is going to, like, ruin me in any way. However, there are a couple of concerns that I do have with it. Uh, for one thing, in uh, d- the dating life, that that's one of my biggest concerns, just because... In general, I tend to have difficulty expressing certain emotions, specifically like sadness and uh, love, both familial and romantic. Um, And I tend to overcorrect a little too much, like in terms of these sorts of things, to where I feel like that would make it very difficult in like uh, in a relationship setting. Also, another thing is that a a lot of people who are on the spectrum tend to fall uh, into depression or just overall cynicism. And that's just something that I'd worry that I'd lose, like that, that I would maybe develop a cynical point of view on life. And then one last thing is just like with authenticity with acting, I really overthink acting in general, um, just because I always approach it like how I approach social interactions like this emotion needs to be this way. Uh, and as a result, I just come across as a little insincere when it comes to performing like a scene, because I think instead of being, Oh, I'm me in this moment. I think I need to put on happy in this moment. Uh, even though like, I don't genuinely feel that way in the moment, or maybe I do, but like, I just, don't it's maybe a little more understated 
than other people would like react to the given scenario. So I guess that would be the biggest concern. Um, just not that I wouldn't get hired, but that it would hinder my ability to be workable, like for people to work with me, like in the actual workplace. Yeah. Also, the acting that we're doing right now is very like realism based. It's not what everyone does all the oh, time. Wait, Harris, can I interject one more thing about the uh, acting or about fears? I actually, I just came up with one right now. Yeah, my motor skills are just terrible. They're just really bad. And as many people are aware, you know, musical theater. One of the main components is dance, and that is another concern of mine. Um. Sorry for interrupting, but like that was that that I actually I would almost say that that's like an even bigger fear. Well, no, slightly less than the acting, but that that's a huge one because I just feel like there's this wall in terms of how much I can improve with that just because like I'm like, oh, my God, one leg now this leg, this arm like and. I mean, not to not to get too off track, but when we did urine town here at Montclair State University, Mm -hmm. I remember I was super proud of it because it was such a dance heavy show and like everybody had to dance. And the fact that I was able to be in a number that featured a lot of uh, that like choreography and stuff and not screw it up like that was just a big step forward. I felt. And so that like, I'm very proud of that show specifically. Have you ever had like sensory overload during a production? Is that something that happens to you or do you kind of not deal with, have to deal with that? I have been fortunate that that doesn't typically happen to me. Cause when I'm, when I'm really prepared for it and like, I'm focused, um, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, weirdly the moments where it does kind of get to me is when I'm reminded that there's an audience there. So like when they clap or if they like cheer, I like am thinking like, wait, this is strange. Like, like what's going on, but it's never, it's never to the point of say when it's at like a party setting or like what, what would happen at like the pizza joint. And also at least in my experience here at Montclair, a lot of my parts have been very like, I come on, do a thing, and then go off for a while. So I never had to spend a whole lot of time in the noise, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what has helped you um, get to the place where you are now? Not only where you're comfortable with who you are and these quirks um, that you might used to think of negatively, but also what has just helped you uh, gain social skill, gain... um, like what has helped me with that yeah oh my mother my my mother won one thousand percent like she uh she basically taught me like all my manners like table manners and just how to greet someone how to like meet someone like shake hands and be polite but also uh even like especially in college and well, in high school, I was fortunate enough to have really, really good friends that were really understanding of my quote unquote short things to where having like a nurturing environment and just interacting with them 
uh, and like whenever I mess up in a social setting and they're like, oh, you you needed to handle it that way. Like, I file it like a kind of like a video game where it's like, okay, the next time this happens, I will do this instead, instead of dying like an idiot in the in the video game. So rather than blabber, I'll just be like, hello, it's nice to meet you. Um, so really just, I I guess you could say I learned a lot by doing in that regard, in like, in social settings, in terms of like, expressing emotion, uh, I found that singing has been the best outlet for me, uh, because, you know, songs just like, especially in musical theater, they allow you to access very different, like, parts of your humanity like you can have a song that's as joyous as i'm not wearing underwear today from avenue q it's like yes it's stupid and like goofy but i mean it's fun you get to you get to express like genuine joy through that or if you sing something like it's hard to speak my heart from parade it's a much more like you really get to like tackle like that level of fear and that has been really helpful for me implementing that into my social life like what i do with singing one thing more recently that has been helping me uh and forcing me to be more observant of people uh is writing because it's it's pretty cathartic for me to like write characters who i either am like or people that i don't like or people that i wish to be like and all of that inspiration comes from like observing people in my day-to-day living where uh where i see like man that person has a lot of charisma like maybe i could use some of that charisma in my own life i actually have another thing too yes um and this is this is kind of a weird this is kind of a weird thing that's helped me cope uh with sensory overload um horror movies Hmm. and horror video games how does that help because they are typically very stressful and they're typically noisy depending on how like crazy the scenario featured within is. And especially in the case of video games, it forces you to have to learn to manage that stress and manage that overwhelm, like that overwhelmment. So like I found that that's actually helped me the most in terms of like, okay, well, yes, this is scary, but I'm not gonna let it like freeze me. I'm gonna pl- uh, gonna keep moving forward and accomplish my task. And I can apply that to when I'm in like a crowd or something, and I need to get from point A to point B. And I'm like, yes, it's noisy. Yes, there's like a parade going on in like the middle of the wherever. But like, I just gotta get from here to there. And so, I guess, I guess that's how I would compare it. Yeah, I hope that maybe some of my sarcasm has also helped you realize. No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm terrible at sarcasm. No, you've gotten so much better. That's what I'm saying. You used to literally not understand a single moment that I made a joke freshman year. Yeah. No, not at all. No, not at all. And now you like (laughs) almost understand every time I'm being sarcastic. And even when you don't, I just pretend I just pat myself on the back and pretend it means I'm a good actor. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes it takes a second for me, but I have to like I got to connect the wires and then I'm just 
and then I'm there. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned this really interesting thing from my cognitive science class that the issue um, that a lot of people on the spectrum have is with surrogacy. So um, that kind of putting yourself in someone else's shoe scenario, which is why like jokes like and jokes and sarcasm goes over their heads because um, they don't understand. They, they can't uh, put themselves in their shoes to see the subtext. They just look at it oh, from right. face value. Yeah. So I always yes. so I thought that was very no. interesting. Factoid for y'all. That's absolutely Oh, that's absolutely been an issue uh, more, that I've mostly noticed in college. Um, sometimes someone will like tell a joke or tell a funny story and I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And then I have to ask like a friend. I'm like, well, what what's funny about that? Not mm-hmm. in like a mean way, just in a I, I genuinely want to know because I just don't I, I just didn't understand it. And then like my friend will be like, uh, well, it's like this. And because of this, therefore it's this. And then I'm like, oh, all right. That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, and yeah. Um, I don't want to say that like a, that a lack of empathy can be a strength, but sometimes it can be <laughs> in terms of, uh, helping people with like hardships. Like I remember my brother was going through like this really messy breakup and, <laughs> I mean, I feel really, I feel really bad about it, like in retrospect. But back then, I was just like, so. <laughs> oh my god! And weirdly, and weirdly that, and well, weirdly that helped him through it because he was like, "Well, what, what about this? And what about this?" And I was like, "Yeah, but she did this, 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 and this. So, um, why are you still hung up about it?" Yeah, I mean, you could have, you, you could have been like that to me. You weren't. <laughs> you were too nice i don't to want to be mean we'll see like over the years i've learned to kind of filter that and well, know, know when to say well maybe i should be a little more nice you know i appreciate that so i always ask a question on this podcast if you were in my shoes and you were interviewing yourself what question would you ask yourself that i have not asked you yet and then go ahead and answer that well one thing that i would ask is that just what do you do in your day-to-day living that would lead you to possibly believe that you're on the spectrum? Because we touched upon early in the conversation that uh, about like my short temper in childhood or like sensory overload in young adulthood. But there are other things like other little quote unquote quirks that I have that are actually more telling to me than the sensory the sensory the sensory overload is only like one thing like for instance uh back when i visited like dining hall back in the first two uh years of school i would have the exact same meal every single day like for every all three of the meals i would have the exact same thing because i like to have like to have the routine and anytime it was like messed up I would be extremely peeved. Like one time we had to go to an audition early in the morning. And because of that, I had a late lunch, but then it screwed up the rest of my schedule. Um, or just the way I do things, the like what I eat. And it just, that was really a stressful experience for me. Another thing is that I'm just super obsessive with certain things. I will become fixated on one specific thing for a long period of time and go to extreme lengths to know everything i can about it like friends like video games i will spend hours and hours just to master one technique 
know all the ins and outs of it, even though like and neglect other things uh, that I need to do <laughs> in the day or I will be like, like, oh, my God, I just saw Lord of the Rings and I need to know everything about Lord of the Rings and tell everybody everything about Lord of the Rings. Oh, one-sided uh, conversations. Uh, here's one thing uh, that my mom would do, very cheeky of her, uh, she would uh, experiment with, was I have one-sided conversations. So, like, uh, one time we were in the car, for, and it's like a 40-minute drive from this one town to another. And I was talking about one topic, and like one topic alone, and just talk, 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 talk. And then my mom didn't say a word. She didn't interject. She just let me go. And I didn't even realize that I was completely just like unaware of the fact that I was just rambling on and on about this thing and not realize that I was boring the heck out of her. So, I mean, like, I would have appreciated that she'd be like, um, it's not ideal to do that. But, but I mean, like, I guess in hindsight, I, I see why she did it. She wanted me to kind of see it for myself. My final question is, Alec, where can people reach you? You can go ahead and plug whatever social media you would like. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Alec Michael Lobe, L-O-B-E. It's pronounced Lobe. A lot of people get it wrong, but I, I feel bad correcting Honestly, I need to get more involved with that type of stuff. Just to clarify, it is Alec underscore Michael underscore Loby. Uh, yeah, that's all I really have. I mean, I stay up to date in his uh, constant performances and gigs at Montclair State University's musical theater program. Yes, uh, we're hopefully putting on a new work in the spring that should be really interesting. Um. Hopefully everybody stays safe amidst the pandemic and we're able to it's also Titanic as well. It's, it's been a bit of, it's been a bit of a year and like so far we've been doing good or doing well. There's always that fear amidst this second spike. Yeah, no, I'll just, I'll just recap that. Well, thank you for coming on Alec. It was a blast. You know, I love you. You're my best friend, blah, blah, blah. Sappy, sappy. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> That's such a brief curt, uh, curt response to that. You're my best friend, Alec. Thanks. Okay. Sorry. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, well, I'll see everyone who's listening next week. Hopefully. I can't wait to see you again. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.